Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is Courage When It Counts. Our family theme is Courageous Faith. Our objective is to learn uh, to have the courage to do what is right, even though it may bring difficult situation or even suffering into our lives. We will be in the book of Esther, chapter 3 and chapter 4 as well. We have two key truths this morning. Number one, uh, God works His sovereign plan no matter the opposition. I want to stop there just for a moment before we continue on. Uh, I hope you realize how important the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is. God will always work His sovereign plan. Now, the dilemma we face as Christians, and it doesn't matter which side of the argument might be on, there are those who believe in total election, uh, we have no choice, predestination, and those who believe in free will. Well, the fact of the matter is, the Bible teaches both. But we have to understand something. The sovereignty of God means one thing for sure, His plans are going to be accomplished. Okay? And we're going to see that played out today in the book of Esther. But our key, key point number two, key truth number two, is that believers, we should do what is right, even when it may cost us something. Our Bible basics, uh, things we should know, we're being uh, encouraged to memorize uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Now remember, this is the beginning of Joshua's leadership. Uh, at least Moses is now gone now. Now he's in charge. And God says, have, have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Be not afraid nor dismayed, because I, the Lord, is with you wherever you go. How many know that's true today? Wherever we go. Now, now here's, I think that's one reason they've, they've chosen it to memorize this week. Uh, because if Joshua was going to lead the nation of Israel, did he need courage? Yes. And was his, own, was his own courage enough? No. He needed to know that God was going to be with him. And, and the, th- the same thing applies to our story in Esther today. So where does this story fit in the overall events of the Bible? Well, uh, we got it on the overhead there, but uh, around 430, uh, 483 B.C., uh, during the reign of uh, Ahasuerus, he was reigning in Persia. Now, by the way, uh, by this time, some of the Jews have gone back home, not all of them. And, of course, Esther and Mordecai are part of that group. Uh, but we all ha- also have to understand, and by the way, next week we'll be in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, but we have to understand, I'm convinced that Daniel had a lot to do with the Jews being released. Uh, because God had placed him where he was at as well. But nonetheless, uh, today we see uh, the story of Esther and how uh, that God was going to intervene through her uh, to save his people. Well, we mentioned this morning already, and we'll talk about it again in our Get Started. Uh, we talked about the sovereignty of God. So what do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? What do we mean? In charge of what? Everything. Amen. And how much charge does he have? Yeah, 100%. He is the supreme ruler, and he controls everything. So, Lord willing, today in our lesson, uh, we're going to see that worked out, uh, God's sovereign hand at work, uh, in the events in the book of Esther. Now, here's something I've got to remind myself over and over again, 
especially in the days we live, I have to remember that I can always trust that God is always in control. And he will have the final word, okay? Well, we're going to pick it up in chapter 3 in just a moment here. Most of you know the story of Esther in the first two chapters. Uh, we are told that the queen of Persia, Vashti, uh, she had sort of lost her favor with Ahasuerus, the king, uh, because she refused to come out and display her beauty before that big party he was having of all those dignitaries there. But nonetheless, uh, he was angry. He had her taken away. And uh, some advice from some of his advisors, uh, they said, what you need to do, you, you need to replace her uh, with a beautiful, the most beautiful woman of your choice. Now, I, I hope you don't miss this. Uh, one of the things that's kind of uh, unique about the book of Esther is you'll never find the name God mentioned, okay? But do you see his presence there? Yes. Now, again, we're not going to go back to chapter 1 and 2, but it's almost like we're reading a story of a king. He has a drunken party. He wants to show the, his, the beauty of his wife off. She doesn't come and blah, blah, blah. But my question is, is it just by happenstance this is all happening? No. It's God's plan. Why do you think that, Nan? Yeah, he does. And does God know what's going to happen in a little while? Yeah. Now, by the way, the story of Esther picks up in about the third year of the reign of Ahasuerus. Uh, and again, already a decree has gone out to let uh, by, by Cyrus, the previous king, to return those who wanted to the homeland of, of the Jews. And many of them do, many of them don't. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, they're beginning to rebuild the temple. They're going to begin to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And guess what uh, the pagans don't want to happen? They don't want none of it, okay? So what happens with Esther is going to affect this whole thing if, it, if it's allowed to carry through. But remember, who's in charge? Ahasuerus? God, he is in charge. So nonetheless, kind of interesting here. Well, do you think when Ahasuerus chose Esther, do you think he knew she was a Jew? Yeah. No way. Also, early on in the story, uh, you know, she was being raised by Mordecai. And uh, by the way, Mordecai was, uh, he sat at the king's gate, so he was probably some kind of official. And in the early part of the story, Mordecai learned of a group of men who were planning on assassinating the king. And, of course, he tells Esther, and Esther tells the king. Well, nothing happens about that. I mean, it's just, okay, matter of fact, and those men were, were killed, of course. But, again, my question is, happenstance? No, everything according to the plan of God. Now, by the way, it's kind of interesting. You gotta love, you gotta love God's word. Uh, before this thing unfolds, uh, we know that Mordecai gets to be promoted into the land, but not before some difficulty. But for whatever reason, one night the king has trouble sleeping. Anybody ever had that? 
And so, for lack of a better word, he says, bring me the minutes of our previous business meetings. Now, i got to tell you, whenever I have trouble sleeping, I don't want to read about our minutes of our business meetings. Huh? Right? But he does. Happenstance? None of it. Because while he's reading through those official records, he finds out, wait a minute, this guy named Mordecai. He saved my life. And he said, what do we do about it? What do we do for him? How many know God's working here, okay? So with that kind of a background, make sure you know God's name's not mentioned. You can't miss his hand. God is at work. Now keep in mind, all of these things that are behind the scenes will be very important in chapter 3 and 4. We have to understand that God had promised He had promised to bless every nation through a Savior. And he had chosen for that Savior to come through the Jewish nation. And way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gave that first promise. And he says to Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So my question is, has it been easy for the Jews for the years? No. Because we have to understand, this is a spiritual battle going on here. And God had a plan. Satan knew that plan. And Satan would seek again, it wouldn't be the last time, to have every Jew killed. But God says what? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Now again, did God make Haman have this plan? No, he allowed it. But he didn't make him do it. But God is going to have the last word. Okay, a lot of reading this morning. Chapter 3, let's read the first, uh, the entire chapter. 1 through 15. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dan. What a story. <clears throat> now remember, we're talking, of course, about the sovereignty of God and free will. And both are there. They're both at work. And in the story here, we find out there came a time when King Ahasuerus decided to promote Haman for whatever reason. And he became the second highest uh, leader in the Persian kingdom. Now that being said... Uh, what would, whether, now, whether it be Haman or anybody, if you're the second one in the land, how do you expect people to respond to you? Bow down. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we know that during the time of Joseph, he was uh, elevated second in the kingdom. And, of course, people bowed down to him as well. So uh, did Haman expect that? Did he expect that to be? Sure he did. He expected that to happen. So, and it was normal, okay. But there was one fella who wasn't now that refused to bow down. Mordecai. And he happened to be what? What nationality? He was Jewish. Now think about that. He refused to bow down. Why would he do that? Say it again. Absolutely. He would only bow to God. Now, Dan, I'm glad you said it because that's exactly right. Now, next week we'll be in chapter 1 of Daniel. And Daniel's going to purpose in his heart he will not defile himself with the king's meat or the king's wine. Okay? Which means what? We're going to draw the line here. Now, I listened to, I think it was uh, John MacArthur a week or so ago, and he made a great statement. He said, the church has lost the value of being separated from the world. Isn't that true? He said, the sad thing is, a lot of these church, church pastors have forgotten how to be separate from the world. 
We've tried to become so much like the world, trying to win them in. And by the way, our job is not to win them, our job is to lead them to Christ. But we've lost the value of separation. Now, keep in mind, uh, I tend to believe that Mordecai held some kind of a position at part of the king's uh, who served the king in some way. I'm not sure exactly the details. Uh, history shows us, uh, I mean, secular history, uh, that there was a man named Mordecai who served uh, King of Hazarerus. We're not sure it's the same one or not, but it could very well be. But nonetheless, he refused to bow down. And, and Dan, I like how you put that because he wasn't trying to be rebellious, necessarily. He was going to honor his God. And to... You know, to me, that, that is tremendous because how many know when you take a stand to honor God, sometimes you'll stand along, alone, even among your own people. But Mordecai was not ashamed to stand for his God. So evidently, there were some other officials at the gate of the court, and they tried to speak to Mordecai. Uh, maybe warning him about the consequences, uh, but and probably even more so, uh, questioning him why he simply would not bow down. Well, the bottom line is, in their conversation, and Dan, I don't know about you, but I think Mordecai says, hey, I'm a Jew, and I, I can only bow down to God. My, my faith, in, my Jewish faith, will not allow me to bow down to anyone but my God. So in that process, these other officials find out that Mordecai is a Jew. So here we have Haman, second in command. Mordecai refuses to bow down. So how did it affect Haman? Yeah. When you said what now? It made him mad? How mad was he? Yeah. Now, it's interesting. One man refused to bow down. At least one man that we're told about. And Haman's thinking, you know what? I could just kill him, but I don't want to just do that. I'll do what? All the Jews. That's how angry he was. Now, it's interesting. Haman was so filled with rage, he wanted vengeance so bad because this Jew simply would not bow down. So Haman set out not only to destroy Mordecai, but the entire Jewish nation. Now again, let's make sure we get our focus right here. We have a man here named Haman. He's behind it, but really who's behind all of this? Satan. He stands against God's people all the time. And it's true even in the story of Esther. So he says, in his mind, in my heart, in his heart, I will not just destroy Mordecai. I will destroy 
all the Jews. Dan, you read a moment ago there in verse 7. They started casting lots in the first month. It just happened to be the month around Passover. And this casting of lots was literally rolling the dice. Okay? It was practiced by a lot of uh, pagan societies, but it was also practiced by the Jews. Uh, For example, you remember whenever uh, uh, Judas hung himself and the disciples needed to replace him. Uh, There were two men that came up. uh, One man's name slipped my mind, one with Matthias. I remember his name. Uh, but they had to choose between two men. How they choose? They rolled the dice. Well, preacher, that, that's no, because the Bible says the lot of the dice are in the Lord's hands. So it was in the hands of God during that time with the apostles. <coughs> now, exactly with, with Haman, probably the hands of the devil, but nonetheless, what he's doing throughout, for the whole 12 months, he rolls these dice or has them do it, and trying to determine when is the best time to approach the king with his plan and when is the best day to do this. Now, I have no idea how they determined that, but it looked like they, they rolled the die for 12 months. And I'm not sure it was every day or not, but it was quite often. Haman wanted to know when is the best time to pull this thing off, to go to the king, speak to him about it, and then to destroy the Jews. So the Bible says they rolled in dice for a year. So now a year has come and gone, and for whatever reason, the rolling of the dice gave Haman the confidence he needed to go to the king. Now, notice as Haman speaks to the king, does he once name Mordecai? No. He never mentions his name. But all he does, in fact, he never mentions the Jews. He simply speaks in general terms. And he says to King Ahasuerus, there's a people in your land. They're rebellious, they're stubborn, and kind of paraphrasing king, they're up to no good. And if you let them survive, it will not be for your benefit. So, now by the way, (laughs) Ahasuerus has no idea. He's talking about any special people. He he didn't know who it is. There's certain people. Didn't know it was Jews. At this point, he still doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. But anyway, how bad he went... He, he informed Ahasuerus, but then he says, I want your permission to destroy these people, and in order to help do it, I'm going to give you what? <laughs> uh, well, aren't you glad never, that there's no corruption in our government? Huh? Now, I, I don't know if you, if you looked that up or not, that's 350 tons of silver. What did you say, Sandy? Yeah, that's what I said. I said it backwards, though. Wow. 350 tons of silver. So what does that tell you about Haman? Pretty rich. And how bad did he want this thing? 
Pretty bad. Now, by the way, basically the king said, ah, Haman, keep your money. Here it is. But almost every theologian believes that was a custom at that time. Uh, it's kind of like when people, you do a job for people and they offer to pay you. You say you don't want it, but you really do. Huh? So the king probably got the money, all right? Uh, when's the last time you heard of a king didn't turn money down, right? So, but anyway, that's not the point. Now, here's what's interesting. And Daniel read it a month ago. Did you notice her wording? He wanted to kill, annihilate, and destroyed. Is that extreme? That, that, they'd be like me saying, I'm going to kill you till you're dead. Well, if you kill them, guess what? They're already dead. We're going to annihilate. We want to destroy them. We want to kill each of those Jews. And by the way, it doesn't matter where they live. doesn't matter how old they are, young or old. doesn't matter if they're male or female. We want them exterminated. Now, I have to ask you again, is this the only time in history the Jews were facing extermination? No. Say, yeah, that's right. It goes on over and over and over again. Now, here's what's interesting. Haman gets the permission, and, you know, him and the uh, king said, I'm going to have a few drinks. We're, all right, we're going to celebrate this. But the Bible says the people of Shushan, how, how did it affect them? They were perplexed. They were confused. Because, for the most part, not everyone hated the Jews. And you have to know that an edict of that kind is going to cause havoc. It's going to cause danger to the people in the land, no matter who you are. Could you think the Jews are going to take it standing, uh, sitting down? They're not. They're going to fight back. And so they're perplexed. They're confused. And here's what I learned. And I'm glad it didn't happen in our government. <laughs> Haman and Ahasuerus were out of touch with the common people. They missed what the common people really, really wanted. Now, by the way, uh, we need to remember they're in captivity because they sinned against God. Uh, God had warned them during the exodus from Egypt that if you disobey me, I will drive you out of the land. Uh, they'll come and take over. You know, you see it in Leviticus. You see it in Deuteronomy. But God had warned them. So that's why they are in captivity. But let me stop here for a minute. Just because God was angry with them, just because God was bringing punishment upon them for their rebellion against him, talking about the Jews now, did that mean God didn't love them anymore? No, he loved them. They were still his people. And so you have to know this, folks. God was not going to let Haman's plan come to fruition. Also understand, under the Persian law, once a king signed a decree, well, could, you, well, could, you, could you ever reverse it? No, it had to go through. Now again, from a human perspective, look, oh no, Lord, we're gone. But remember, who's in control here? God, he is sovereign. So let's apply that this morning, okay? We have to know that God is working his plan. And so while we know that God is working his plan, let's look for ways, opportunities that you and I can be used by 
him. So my question in the way of discussion is this. God had a reason for preserving the Jews. What was that reason? Say it again. Ah, one, yeah, Jesus. That's it. Not because they were good people. They were not. Not because they were easy to get along. They were not. But just because of Jesus. God was going to bring a Savior to the world, and he would come to the Jews. He would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's no way, no way, this was going to be carried Now, hold on. What Mordecai did, was it dangerous? Sure. Sure it was. And we have to realize, we have to prepare ourselves to be used by God. And the way we do that is to walk closely with God, listen for the Spirit of God to direct us, and to submit, to be willing to submit ourselves to the will of God. So number one, God works His sovereign plan no matter the opposition. Number two, as believers, we are to do what is right even when it may cost them. Anybody want to read chapter four? Somebody can volunteer, I know you can. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, Whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai, to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the gate, the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given to Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther. And to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him. And to make request before him for her people. 
And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake to Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai, Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present at Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days. Three days, night or day. I also and my, ha- my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Wow, what a, what a story. News reaches Esther. Most of the people were confused what's going on. The Jews were stricken with horror. They were devastated. They began to fast, to mourn, to weep. And Mordecai himself leaves the king's gate. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he wails, he cries out in the center of the city, right there in the middle of town. Esther learns of it. She sends him to change of clothes. And what's Mordecai say? Nope. There's a problem. There is a problem. So Esther sends back to Mordecai and says, Hey, I want to know what? And I want to know why. I want to know what? And I want to know why. She knew something was going on. What is it? Mordecai explains the situation. Gives her a copy of the order that Ahasuerus had signed, if you will. Including the money to be paid. He says, Esther, you've got to go speak to the king. What's the problem with that? She's a queen. Yeah. According to our text, it had been how many days? 30 days. Come on, Mordecai, you know better. You know if if I show up and he doesn't want me there, his curtains. Everybody knows that law. Surely you do, Mordecai. 
Now, by the way, and, and Dan, I, I like what you said a while ago. He he didn't bow down because he only bowed, bowed before God. But Mordecai said, now, wait a minute, Esther. You think because you're the queen, what's going to happen? You'll be saying, what does I say now? Not, not going to happen. You're in danger, your family's in danger, and our people are in danger. And you have to, you have to sense, even though he doesn't mention God's name, we see Mordecai's faith in God <coughs> because he realized God was not going to let these people be destroyed. And he said, Esther, if you don't do it, guess what? Somebody else will. And then somebody else is God. Somehow and some way, God is going to intervene. Okay. We talk a lot about faith, right? Amen. We need faith. But my question is, does faith make our situation go away? No. Not at all. Finally, Esther realizing the seriousness of the situation and the quickness needed to resolve it, she says to Mordecai, I want you to gather everybody in Shushan. And for the next three days, I want everybody to fast. No food, no water. Morning, sackcloth and ashes. You think she's serious? Yeah. And she says, not only you guys, for lack of a better word, the common people, tell them the queen is going to fast as well, and all of my maidens. We are going to fast for the next three days. Implying then I'll go see the king. (laughs) Now don't miss this, folks. It's so important. Mordecai was trusting God. But it didn't take his problem away. The danger was still there. But somehow, in some way, he was still trusting God to come through. Finally, Esther makes a resolve, I'm going to go in and see the king, but not until we fast for three days. And it's interesting, I think she finally realizes, maybe one of them dumb moments, God has put me here for a reason. God has taken a nobody, a Jewish nobody, and made me queen of the Persian Empire. Surely God has a reason for it. And so she agrees to go before the king after that period of fasting comes to an end. And she recognized the risk. And how does she reply to that? If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. And I want to say this morning, folks, that is why it is so important that every day in our lives we must look to God and and not to our circumstances. Because I want you to know this morning, and I realize it, (laughs) if you look to your circumstances, does that bring you courage? No. No. 
If we are going to find courage to act, we have to look to God. And my prayer is that we will never allow ourselves to be limited by what is happening around us. Now, by the way, courage is not standing up three cheers for Jesus. Nah. It's not a pep rally. It doesn't mean we think we're uh, invincible. It means we're acting in spite of how much we know how vulnerable we really are. It means we act for something that we accept as greater than ourselves. And don't ever think that our strength is enough for the task. It never is. But our strength has to come from God. And so Esther's faith did not cause her circumstances to disappear, her difficulty to disappear, but her faith helped her to do the right thing, even though she realized she might die. She might What's the worst thing men can do to us? Kill the body. What did Jesus do for that? He raised it again. He raised it again. So if we're going to have this kind of courage, we have to believe and trust that God is master beyond this life. Beyond this life. Well, I don't make the lesson plans. We have a study guide. I had to apologize to Cheryl because she usually does a good, used to do a thing with her drawing of the Haman's name. We're not going to have that in our lesson, but it'll be in Daniel next week. But if you know the story, we find out that Esther did. She stayed true. Went to the king, even though he hadn't called her. God gave her favor. And then she invites him for dinner. And she said, by the way, uh, bring Haman with you. And when, when Haman first heard of that, what did he think? Well, I'm somebody. <laughs> I mean, she didn't invite nobody but me and the king. But by the third day, what do you know? It's over. And so God had turned the tables. And the very gallows that Haman had made to hang Mordecai on. Guess who hung there? Haman did. Now, by the way, they couldn't reverse the order. They couldn't. It was time. Esther knew that. Mordecai knew it. The king knew it. But the king gave another order. He said, I'm telling the Jews, fight with all you've got. <laughs> I mean, do whatever you have to do. Stop this happening. And my friend, God kept his word. He preserved a nation. And I want to say today, folks, any nation that goes against Israel will not stand for long. Will not stand for long. Let's stand together. Next week, we're into Daniel chapter 1. And I, can, I see how they're linked together because not only did Esther and Mordecai show courage, Daniel shows courage as he travels the road less traveled. Father, thank you.